Hey everybody, welcome to the World Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you, inspires you, and more than anything helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. For more information and resources, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. It's a wonderful Saturday night. Um, so I'd like to start just by thanking our pastors for having me up here again tonight. If it's your first time here, we've got four incredible pastors. They encourage us. They love us. They are really amazing people. And they're even better leaders. With that, it is also Pastor Appreciation Month. So if we could give them a round of applause. Thank you. So, man, here we are. What are we talking about? I'm just kidding. I don't know either. Um, <laughs> so, I'm a, sorry, Simeon. and I'm going to try to stay in one spot as much as I can. It's really hard for me, though. Um, but let's pray quick. Well, Father, thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you for showing up. Just pray that you'd open our hearts and our ears to hear what you've got for us tonight and make my words your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're going to talk about a couple dudes in the Bible that struggled to see what God's seen in them. They were driven by fear and doubt, but remember that God qualifies us. We don't qualify ourselves. It doesn't matter how the world sees us or really how we see ourselves. So we're going to go through quite a bit of scripture tonight, so hang on. I'm going to kick off with Gideon in Judges 6. Not this Gideon. So first, I'm just going to give you a quick breakdown of uh, Judges 6, verses 1 through 10, and why the Israelites were in such a rough place. So the Lord wasn't pleased with them, So he stopped protecting them from their enemies for seven years. The Israelites made hiding places in the mountains and coves to hide from the Midianites and their allies. The Midianites and their allies would come and pillage the Israelites. They would take all of their crops and livestock. They would come into town in great numbers and stay until the land was stripped bare. Israel was reduced to starvation, and at one point they cried out to the Lord, The Lord sent them a prophet who reminded them that God had delivered them from slavery and everything that had oppressed them in the past. He reminded them that God gave them the land of their enemies and told them that they could not worship the gods of the Amorites. But they didn't listen, and that's why they were in the pickle they were in. So Judges 6, 11 through 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Oprah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So, God calls Gideon mighty warrior while he is hiding, while he is in a fearful state, not actually being a warrior at all. The Lord announces himself and calls Gideon a mighty warrior off the bat. 
God was calling out the gold in Gideon right away. In verse 13, Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon replied again, Pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if they were fighting against one man. As soon as the Lord had encountered Gideon, Gideon immediately met the Lord with complaint. He completely disregarded God referring to him as a mighty warrior, and he just continued with the conversation. This speaks volume to me about how Gideon seen himself, even before he vocally proclaimed it in verse 15 by saying, I'm the least in my family. Gideon was afraid and didn't have a very high esteem for himself, and God knew it. God chose, chooses to use him anyway, even knowing that he's afraid and doesn't trust God right away. God tells Gideon to go in his strength. He tells him to go as himself because God is going to go with him. The angel of the Lord tells Gideon that the Lord will be with him. Then he encourages him and straight up tells him he'll win the battle. But Gideon still doubts the Lord. I have a tendency to do this kind of thing with myself when I get compliments or positive words. My own self-image doesn't allow me to see what other people see. I usually like to respond with an awkward thank you. Or I disregard it completely and say, oh man, look at that lamp. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. But... I've legitimately had to learn how to intentionally accept the compliments, even when it's awkward. So back to Gideon. If we read on, verse 17 through 27, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's kind of a lot. So Gideon asked for the Lord to prove himself and to prove that he is the Lord. And he sets up an offering to God, and God confirms to him that he is who he is. After the revelation that God... After Gideon has the revelation that God is who he is, he tells Gideon to go and destroy his father's altar to Baal and cut down the Ashura pole beside it and build an altar to God. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Sorry, I have to remember to breathe sometimes. <laughs> I believe Gideon's doubt had everything to do with fear and how Gideon sees himself. Remember, he's the least in his father's house. He's thinking, why would the Lord come to me and talk to me? Why would he call me a mighty warrior? 
Why is he telling me that he's going to be with me and that I'm going to not just beat, but destroy the Midianites as if they were one man? (laughs) You see, he doesn't see what God sees in him because he cannot wrap his mind around what God is telling him because he doesn't think he's enough for God to use him that way. Because he's afraid and feels unqualified, he still doesn't hear the angel of the Lord when he tells him that the Lord will be with him. God isn't telling Gideon to go by himself. He's telling him to go and that God is going to be with him. He asks God to prove that he's God. And after the angel of the Lord proves that God is speaking to him, Gideon realizes that it is in fact God speaking to him. And if God is truly speaking to him, then what he was saying must be true. This encouraged Gideon enough to do something, and he did what God told him to do and destroyed the altar of Baal. Now if we jump ahead to verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Now this is the power of the Lord. The NIV says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He then blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Nephalti. Yeah. (laughs) Summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. See, again, when it says the Spirit of the Lord... The Lord clothed Gideon with power. That again proves that the Lord was with him. 100% Gideon was not doing this alone. So verse 36, Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, prove it to me this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel, as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece one more, for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground is wet with dew. So that night, Gideon, or God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. I believe Gideon knew that the Lord was with him and that it was the Lord speaking to him. But he tested God's word a couple more times, again, as he's just seen, just to be sure God was actually calling him because, remember, he was the least in his father's house. We doing all right? <laughs> Am I doing all right? <laughs> all right. So Judges seven one through six. So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them 
in the trip on that. We're camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whomever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So, 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine. I will test. Ew. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors, oh boy. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, "Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs." And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. In verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord tells Gideon he's got too many troops. If Gideon goes down there with that many warriors, then the Israelites will think that they saved themselves. That's not what God wants. God wants them to know that God saved them. So, what does he do? He has 22,000 soldiers leave, reducing it to 10,000 soldiers. And then God says, nah, that's still too many. So he drops it down to 300. God actually wants this to be so overwhelmingly lopsided that it can only be him causing this victory. So if we skip ahead to verse 9 through 12. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took his servant and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. So God reassures him again that he's going to have victory over the Midianites. But because God and Gideon have done this dance before, God knows he's going to ask again to make sure. So God tells him right away, go and eavesdrop on the Midianites and you'll get confirmation. So we looked into this a little bit when I was going over this. And he was talking about the numbers settling in, the Midianites and their allies settling in like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were too many to count, like grains of sand on a beach. It was around 150,000. Is that about right? I think that's, that's what we researched, so doesn't mean it's right. But that's a lot. <laughs> that's what Google said. <clears throat> but... So just imagine that, 300 versus 150,000. So in verse 13 through 14, it says, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling 
his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. I think that seems like a reasonable interpretation of a dream. I mean... If a, if a loaf of bread came and rolled my house over, and like, oh man, Gideon's coming. <laughs> so in verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke the clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away. God gave Gideon the confirmation of the victory. And when they got there, in verse 22, it says, the Lord caused, the Lord caused them to fight each other. So a bunch of these 150,000 dudes were confused in fighting each other in the camp. Why? Not because of Gideon, but because of God. Gideon was obedient even after asking God for signs. Through doubt, and seemingly a whole lot of are you sures, he walked into what God called him to do. So now we're going to talk about Moses. Kind of a big guy with a beard, carries a stick around. We're going to jump into Exodus, primarily Exodus 4, but I'm going to give you all a little background on where we're at. So Moses was found and adopted, found and adopted into Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter. He ends up killing an Egyptian guard for beating up one of his people, then goes on the run the next day. He finds himself near Midian, where he comes across the daughters of a local priest. Moses helps the women out with their chores for the day, and in doing so, finds favor with the priest and is given one of his daughters to be his wife. Moses starts a life, becomes a shepherd to the priest's flock of animals, and then one day, he was out there doing work, minding his own business, when he was encountered by the angel of the Lord, and God spoke to him through a burning bush and told him to go to Pharaoh and rescue the people of Israel. So in verse, or Exodus 3, verse 11, Moses, but Moses protested God, who am I to appear in front of Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses made excuses because he felt inadequate for the job, asked, for the job God asked him to do. He felt inadequate because he knew he couldn't do this in his own strength. 
But that's not what God was thinking anyway. God wasn't asking him to go at it alone, but Moses didn't see in himself what God knew he had placed in him. Exodus 4, 10 through 17. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have for you. So here we go again. Like Gideon, Moses is begging God not to use him for his task. He tells God why he can't do it and that he doesn't talk very well. God reminds Moses that um, he created the mouth and he knows that Moses doesn't speak well. Then he reassures him again that he's going to give him words. Why? Because God sees our weaknesses very different than we do. If God's giving him the words, that means that God's going to be going with him. Moses was so focused on his weakness that he still didn't trust God and asked him to send someone else. God finally got mad enough and sent Moses' brother, Aaron, to speak for Moses. God would give Moses the words, and Moses would tell Aaron, and Aaron would speak it out. I would say that God more than equipped Moses. He wanted to use Moses enough that he gave him a person to speak for him. Now, if you can't tell, I would totally stand up here behind somebody else and whisper everything that I've got to say <laughs> to them and let them speak. I'd even hold the mic for him if I had to. I'm a Mike. So all of this really resonates with me as of, I mean, this last couple weeks. So every time I've been asked to do this, to stand up here, my initial response is usually panic. Internally, I'm thinking about all of the reasons why I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I didn't go to school for this. Like Gideon, I was a nobody. I didn't grow up in church. It was just like five years ago, I was drinking and doing drugs to deal with day-to-day -day stuff. And I legit thought that, 
thought drinking and depression was all that God had for me, so I shouldn't be doing this. This whole last few weeks have been a barrage of thoughts about why I can't do this stuff, just a constant badgering about it. I had noticed a few weeks ago at the gym that just seemed like everybody in the gym was steering clear of me. Like I'd walk into a room and then everybody else would just be like, or I'd be in that room and somebody else would walk in and they just... I thought it was weird, but whatever. Then a few days later, I'm just giving y'all some context here. <laughs> a few days later, I was at work and my manager came out and he told me that he had gone into the lounge to get a customer and he heard a couple guys talking about the big dude with the beard <clears throat> and how I wouldn't want to run into that guy in the dark alley. And then, oh, geez, I wouldn't want to run into him in a light alley. Man, I was feeling terrible. I felt unapproachable. I felt like I looked scary. I wanted to change my whole look. I even talked to my wonderful Sophia. I was like, man, am I scary looking? <clears throat> and she's like, well, yeah. It's like you just... <laughs> She said, you just need to lift your eyebrows and smile more, you know? So I'm walking around like this now. Everybody's running away. But it legitimately consumed me for, for a few days. I felt like I looked scary. Um, that weekend, uh, even here at church service, Pastor Bob had called ministry team up, and then the next day, somebody did. And I even said to myself, well, I'm not going up there. No one wants prayer from the scary guy. So I didn't. I didn't come up and participate in the ministry team. So, yeah. So a few days later in one of my classes, we were doing prophetic exercises on Zoom with my revival group. Most of us don't know each other outside of the face on the screen. We were giving words of knowledge and words of encouragement. And would you believe that everything God had for me that day was the exact opposite of scary looking. I was told I looked kind and loving. Someone even said that they just wanted a big bear hug from me. <laughs> that was how God seen me. That was the truth. And even being beat down with doubt all this last week, we were doing more prophetic stuff in class, and God just kept telling me, that he's proud of me, and to keep doing what I'm doing, even though I don't see the bigger picture, he does. I don't think I'm the only one that needs to hear that. So if that's you, if that resonates with you, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a good job. Don't give up. None of the people that we talked about tonight believed that they could be used by God. They had a poor image of themselves and felt inadequate when called by God. They both initially responded with why they can't do what God is calling them to do. They responded with excuses out of fear. Moses knew God was speaking to him, and he still felt insignificant. God equipped Moses to go to Pharaoh and free his people. With God... Moses went and did it. 
Gideon tested him to make sure it was actually God talking to him more than once. Even after Gideon had the revelation that it was God commissioning him, he still felt inadequate and fearful. God literally told him he wasn't going to die and that he'd defeat the armies. And despite his fear, God used him. With God, Gideon went and did it. God called them and God equipped them. It's been said a million times, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. How often do you feel like you're called to something by the Lord or even by your pastors and you answer with, why me? I can't speak well. I'm the least in my family. Or how about, I didn't go to school for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't pray like him. Maybe you don't answer with these questions, but instead simply say no, because you're thinking these thoughts. But that's not what God has for you. I think it's okay to be afraid and to be timid, but that's not what God has for us. If he's calling you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. He's going to give you the tools. He's going to give you the words. He's going to clear up the speech impediment. And you're going to do it. You just have to yield to him and call on him. So remember, if God called you to do it, he will equip you to do it. He sees your weakness very differently than you see it. We see our shortcomings as a disqualification to do what he's calling us to do. But I think sometimes God sees our weakness as the only qualification that we have to do what he's calling us to do. After all, he created us with those weaknesses. He wants to stretch us in our weak areas because he wants us to rely on him to overcome those weaknesses. But when we face these situations, we must lower ourselves and be willing to let God help us. It's not me who qualifies me, God qualifies me. So remember, when God sends you, he doesn't care why you think you can't do it. He knows you can't do it on your own. He wants us to look to him and to utilize the grace he's given us, and he wants us to do it with him and rely on him. I have the piano. If you guys want to stand with me. Hold out your hands like you're going to receive something from the Lord.
Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your touch tonight, God. I thank you for your presence tonight, Lord. I thank you, God, for equipping us, Lord. I thank you for utilizing our weaknesses in us, God, and making them strengths, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us in who you've made us to be. Lord, we apologize for asking you to prove yourself time and time again. And thank you, God, for your patience with us in these hard times. I thank you, Lord, for lifting us up when we're doubtful, God, when we're afraid. I thank you, Lord, for being our strength, God. And I pray that you would just release a fresh revelation of our identity in you, Lord. I thank you, God, for carrying us into a new thing. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any new messages. To learn more or to get connected with us, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.